Well, we have talked about this from time to time during the pandemic. Problems with the supply chain and the shortage of just so many items. I still, by the way, can't find any spray starch. Am I the only one? You know, I like to iron my shirts. I like them to be nice and crisp and uh, wrinkle-free. It has been so hard to find spray starch. Also, there's been a shortage, of course, of computer chips and semiconductors that have affected a lot of industries, most notably the auto industry. But what exactly do these semiconductors and computer chips, what do they do? And is there an opportunity for Canada to perhaps fill the gap? Let's welcome in Melissa Chi, who heads up Canada's Semiconductor Council. Melissa joins us now here on Global News Radio. Melissa, good afternoon. Good afternoon. Thanks very much for having me. Well, we appreciate you being here. Uh, first off, I think most people have kind of maybe taken them for granted, but uh, what exactly do computer chips and semiconductors, what do they do, and just uh, how much are they a part of our lives? They are pervasive, and I think most Canadians don't realize how pervasive. So semiconductors and, and computer chips are these tiny, tiny, tiny devices that are in almost everything that we do. From They're the sensors inside of our thermostat. They're more than 50% of the cost of our vehicle, um, and they even power our washing machines. Um, and certainly, we've all been living through um, um, the global pandemic the last 18 months. And uh, for many of those who do work from home, the embedded in the tablets and the computers as, as our children and families work from home, um, they're all inside of there, uh, from anything from our mobile devices to our TVs. And so I think, you know, you've seen an incredible pervasiveness of just how dependent we are on these tiny, tiny chips, which are really the brains of, of, of a lot of the operations of, of things that we take for granted every day. And does that include our cars and automobiles and why this has been so tough, the shortage of uh, computer chips and semiconductors uh, for the auto industry? Yeah, I mean, you know, the perspective on that, is, as you've seen in the news and, and some of the other media coverage, is the semiconductor sector is a $7 trillion global industry. Um, and, you know, Canada certainly has an opportunity and it's historically been a leader in the telecommunications space and, and other sectors that um, building out uh, and leveraging semiconductors. And when you think about the car, um, more than 50% of the cost of the vehicle is actually in the electronics. So that's something as advanced as your, you know, if you have a car that uh, has a LiDAR detector to, to see the um, driver in the, in, on the other side in terms of detecting um, things around the car, it could come to your infotainment unit. And then it's in simple things, just like in the powering of the, uh, of the brake system or um, as something as simple as the up and down motion of, of the uh, windows. So you can imagine as we move into uh, looking at um, opportunities to drive a more green economy and then certainly with the, the challenges around climate change and a move potentially to electric vehicles or hybrid-based vehicles, the componentry and the electronics and, and the advanced technology that are inside of those vehicles are all very much built on, on semiconductors and sensors. I think that's why a lot of people say you don't really buy a car as much as you do technology anymore, right? <laughs> exactly. You're buying a, a really smart, intelligent, uh, uh, moving device. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so why do we have such a shortage of semiconductors and computer chips uh, right now? Is it because of the pandemic, and was any of this foreseeable? 
know, semiconductor sector, and, and I have um, scaled a Canadian semiconductor uh, company in my uh, previous lifetime, um, having worked in tech for over 25 years, it's a cyclical cycle. So the supply and demand of the semiconductor industry is, is typically very cyclical. Um, but when you think about the types of products, as we just talked about, um, particularly let's take a vehicle, the time to market for a new vehicle to come to market can be years and years and years. Um, and the time to produce one of these tiny chips, especially if they are um, in even some of the less advanced technology nodes and, and, and processes, um, can be anywhere from, from, you know, it's a long 18 to 24 months as you're looking out forecasting. And so, you know, it ranges depending on how advanced the technology is, um, but there's also a finite amount of uh, suppliers and manufacturers in the world who actually can produce these chips. Um, and so what happened in the pandemic, you know, you have the com 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 combination of the cyclical nature plus COVID really slowed down um, different types of production lines. But as well as there's, uh, you know, there's constraints on capacity because there's limited supply. And those factors really have exasperated the challenge. And you saw, I think, uh, with, because many more people were working from home, there was a higher demand for devices, uh, tablets iPhones, your, you name it, uh, to work from home. And so, you know, the whole industry had to kind of shift in terms of um, where those forecasts were going, where those chips were going to actually be developed. And knowing that there's such a long lead time um, in terms of product development, that's kind of a situation that we have um, kind of seen uh, play out in the last uh, many months. Okay, I had no idea it took so long to produce these tiny, teeny little uh, chips. I thought well, you could punch a zillion of those out a day. <laughs> no, um, you know, it could be faster. There are processes that go faster, but because there's such a demand, you know, the, the manufacturers who produce the chips have a long lead time in terms of how they take their forecasts. And so you can imagine that, you know, as you work through that system, whether it's 6 to 12 to, to 18 months, you're actually forecasting many years out in terms of demand and supply. And, and these same manufacturers, you know, there's a handful of them, are supplying the likes of automakers as well as Apple and Samsung um, and, and many computer uh, electronics uh, providers. They're also supplying all the uh, telecom providers who are powering our wireless towers. So you can imagine just how constrained um, the ecosystem became um, when things ended up having to slow down and, and, and supply and demand had to shift. Sure. So having said all of that, uh, Melissa, with this uh, shortage, this global shortage of computer chips and semiconductors, is there an opportunity for Canada here? Absolutely. You know, I think one of the things we have to um, be really proud about is the talent that we have in, in, in this country. Um, and the types of talent that Canada produces, both in, in terms of skilled talent as well as, um, you know, highly educated um, workers uh, in, in many different fields, is exactly what the semiconductor sector needs. And I'll give a few examples. Um, you know, today, Canada's workforce in the electronics-related industries creates about 400,000 jobs. Um, but, you know, there's a multiplier of factors um, in that sector about five times. So that's two million Canadians who are already employed in this sector. Co uh, you know, contrast that with 
we actually in post-secondary in Canada, 25% of post-secondary enrollment is actually in computer and electronics related programs. And these are some of the top talent that are really defining the, the future of work, the future of how our automotive sector, you know, the products that are going to go in the automotive sector and, and medical devices, right? Like the ventilators that we heard so much about in the news. These are the types of jobs that are really going to ready Canada's future and sectors that Canada is already relatively strong. I think the question is, you know, we need to look at the areas that Canada has comparative advantage, particularly in the research and design side, but also building a roadmap um, of how really Canada becomes a leader and a very important part of this global supply chain. Um, I'll use an example, uh, you know, one of the things that we do, uh, VentraLab, um, where is the founding ecosystem um, partner for the, the Semiconductor Council. And our organization actually has the Harbor Catalyst Initiative, um, which is Canada's first and only state-of-the-art lab and incubator. And really there we're focused on Canadian SMEs and Canadian founders who are building really interesting products and solutions powered by AI, uh, for robotics, all in this domain um, to, to really scale these companies. And so these are the types of talented founders and their teams who are creating incredible jobs in this country and scaling, you know, the next version of, as you may have heard, your listeners may have heard, the next unicorns of Canada. Mm. Um, in fact, you know, you know, the billion dollar valuation, I, I always say, you know, don't focus on the billion dollars, focus on building an incredible global company that is founded in Canada in with Canadian talent. And so, you know, semiconductor companies in the last, over the summer, three of the, the last four or five that have been announced are all in the semiconductor space, right? Wow. The, the latest unicorns. And so just, you know, you can hear how passionate I and the rest of the council are about this, but this is Canada's moment um, to really make a leapfrog decision that this is a sector that not only can we have comparative advantage, um, but really, you know, leverages the talent in this country um, onto a global stage. Listen, I can hear the passion in your voice. I think we all can, and this is so interesting and uh, so exciting. Melissa, thanks for taking the time with us this afternoon. I really appreciate it. Thank you very much for having me. All right. Melissa Chi heads Canada's Semiconductor Council. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think French fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance <laughs> recital. <laughs> and Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. <laughs> For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.